Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 2, verse 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what's been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous degree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Thank you, Tasha, for that reading. Um, it's a heavy one, isn't it? And so, um, as actually, as I was... I'm going to be very vulnerable right now, and some people would say that I shouldn't do this, but this has been a hard one to prepare. And as I was sitting there, um, I was feeling very nervous, and um, I was reminded of a verse from John 17 that says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And... It was just a really helpful reminder that God's word is truth, even when it's hard to navigate. And so let's pray um, before I begin. Lord, we thank you that your word is truth. Thank you that you speak to us, as Ben has already said, you speak to us by your word and by your spirit. So Lord, we do pray that as we explore this passage together, that you would speak to us and that we would listen. May we encounter you this evening and go away from this place knowing and loving you more. 
and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we started our series in Romans last week, Libby shared the challenge that we can't have a pick and mix faith, that there's one gospel, one way, one truth, the way of Jesus, and we can't just pick and choose the bits we like. And I think we can probably all agree that if these verses were part of a pick and mix, we probably wouldn't choose them. These verses are hard to hear. They're jarring. There's some stuff in there that we might be very uncomfortable hearing. Let's not shy away from that. Even in the discomfort, as I just prayed, there is an important message for us from God that we must listen to. But as we hear the verses being read today, it's important to remember that we are taking a small part of a big meaty letter that Paul is writing explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if any of you have done an escape room before. I know Tasha has. I've done one with her. Um, Ben and I really enjoy escape rooms. We're really quite useless at them. We were a lot better when we were with Tasha and Alan. Um, But we keep going back for more. For those of you who don't know what an escape room is, essentially, you get shut in a room, and there are lots of puzzles and codes that you need to work out. They're normally based on a theme, um, and you have to sort of crack all the codes, and eventually, um, you you get yourself out of the room, um, and you have a time limit. Um, The individual puzzles don't always make sense, especially near the beginning, and Ben and I are often very confused for most of the time. But once you start piecing everything together, it all begins to make sense. Like an escape room puzzle, our passage today might not make sense at first. It might be confusing, it will be hard, but it's part of something bigger. And that will hopefully come clearer as we work through this passage tonight. And that bigger picture, of course, is the gospel of Jesus. As Libby reminded us last week, and Ben reminded us um, just now, that gospel means a good, victorious message, full of joy. Those whom this letter was written to originally, Christians in Rome of Jewish and Gentile origin, are, according to chapter 1, verse 7, loved by God and called to be his holy people. These verses from today's reading are part of a good news story of God's wonderful, joyful salvation for people whom he loves dearly. A key verse that Libby mentioned last week and Ben began the service with it is this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Libby shared last week about the temptation, perhaps, that even the great, passionate evangelist, the Apostle Paul, faced to be ashamed of the gospel. And perhaps, if we're honest, that's being tested a bit this evening. Perhaps, as we read and hear these words, we're tempted to feel a bit ashamed. But although some of these verses are uncomfortable and they don't translate easily into our culture today... Let's explore together what God is saying to us this evening as individuals and as a church. I will get to our reading in a second, uh, which starts in verse 18. But verse 17, following that verse about not being ashamed of the gospel, is this. 
For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So when we continue reading from that first half of chapter one that we looked at last week, we go from hearing about God's righteousness, him being completely holy and free from sin. And then by contrast, we hear about the godlessness and wickedness of humanity suppressing God's truth. Now, those of us who have been around church for a while will be familiar with the idea that we have all sinned. Paul says later on in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The idea that God is holy and that we are not, and why naturally there is a divide between God and us. And that's why we need saving. It's why we talk about salvation. Now, it can be easy to sanitize this and say, we all sin, we're only human, it's okay. But these verses don't seem to let us do that. It suggests it's not okay that we all sin, that sin is serious and an offense to God and his righteousness. And of course, we know that really, because if sin wasn't serious, if it's okay that we sin, then we wouldn't need Jesus to save us in the first place. So there's a challenge here in these verses in Romans 1 to recognize afresh the seriousness of sin in light of the righteousness of God, and that God is rightly angry that sin exists and that it's offensive to him, that people who know something of God choose to turn away from him and toward other things, resulting in godlessness and wickedness and suppression of the truth, according to verse 18. Now, the suppression of truth is an interesting term in there. This letter was written to Christians in first century Rome, but this idea of the suppression of truth could not be more relevant today. We live in a culture that doesn't believe in objective truth, certainly when it comes to spirituality, worldview, or religion. As Libby said last week, people pick and mix when it comes to spirituality. And it's become widely accepted, especially among younger generations, that we have our own life, we live our own truth, it's personal, we get on with it, and as long as we don't make someone else live our truth, that's fine. To our culture today, the suggestion that God is truth and that Jesus is the only way to God is kind of offensive, and it's challenging. It's seen as arrogant and outdated. But the reality is that God exists and that he is holy and that he is the truth. There is objective truth. God is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He has revealed himself clearly according to our reading. From verse 19, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. According to Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God has revealed himself to humanity through creation and, of course, in many other ways and ultimately through Jesus. And so somehow we all know something of God deep within us. And when we turn away from that, when we turn away from God, 
we are suppressing the truth, not only about God, but actually about ourselves and about life and about everything. Because God created us and we were created to know him and to be in relationship with him. So when we're not living with him as our God, then we're kind of living a lie and we're certainly not living in the truth. Now, we might recognize that suppression of any kind of truth as a very modern thing and very relevant for us today, and it is, but it's also literally as old as humanity. The first lie, the first suppression of truth believed by Adam and Eve is found in Genesis 3. I'll just read a few verses. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." John Mark Comer, who's an American pastor and a brilliant thinker, author, and Bible teacher, paraphrases what happens in these verses like this. He says, the serpent came at Eve with a simple yet evocative idea. God is not as good or as wise as he claims to be. He's holding out on you. If you seize autonomy from God and do your own thing with me, you'll be better off. John Mark Comer says, this is the lie underneath all other lies. And this is where all of humanity finds itself, having the capacity to know their creator, having something within us that knows that God is real, but actually thinking, if I go my own way, I'll be better off. As our passage says in verse 21, for although they knew God, They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. That phrase is powerful, isn't it? Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And after the fall of mankind, that is exactly what happened. Continuing in verse 22 of our passage, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. Humanity went its own way, believing the lie that we are better off without God, not treating him as God or glorifying him, but going its own way instead, even to the foolishness of worshipping created things. And so God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts. And things descend into chaos. If you've read any of the Old Testament, you'll see things descend into chaos. But this isn't just a historical thing, is it? We see it today, don't we? The chaos caused by sin. Broken relationships, exploitation, poverty, abuse, violence, other injustices. Our passage shows that when we turn away from God, when we don't worship him as God, we exchange the truth for a lie and things descend into awful chaos and it affects everything. 
And we've already seen a little bit of how it affects our minds as we exchange the truth for lies. As well as our minds, it also affects our bodies. Sexual relationships are talked about in verses 24 to 27. Of course, these verses are controversial, and they inform a wider discussion around human sexuality, of which I'm very aware there are differing views in this room. But whether we take a more conservative or a more liberal view of sexuality, these verses show us that turning away from God affects sexual relationships and expression. And the self-giving love and intimacy that God intends becomes self-satisfying lust, surrounded by shame. Turning away from God affects our minds, it affects our bodies, and it affects our relationships with others. Reading from verse 29, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. <sighs> As a result of turning away from God, people aren't content with what they have, but instead they envy others or they exploit others in greed. Instead of respectful relationships, people are malicious. They slander others and gossip. Instead of committing to and trying to understand others, there's infidelity and a lack of love and mercy. Relationships with those around us become broken, strained, because we've turned away from a loving, merciful, relational God. I'm sure if we are honest, there are things that we recognize in ourselves from that list, which is by no means exhaustive. Humanity turning away from God and his truth affects everything. And naturally, this is all of us. This is where we find ourselves Isaiah 53 verse 6 is a famous verse that says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. It's hard to hear, but we're all in the same boat, each one of us. This passage that we've explored today isn't about condemning others. Verse 1 of chapter 2 makes that very clear. It says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. This passage of scripture isn't a passage to come down in judgment on other people, perhaps those who aren't Christians or those Christians we disagree with. This passage shows us all our need of God, all of us. We have all sinned. Sin is not pleasant. It's serious, and God is not okay with it. It offends him, and it affects us and our world catastrophically, and God is rightly angry about this. We've all turned from God, and we still do at times, if we're honest. As verse 21 says... We know God, but we don't glorify him as God or give thanks to him. We exchange his truth for lies by prioritizing other things above him, whether it's our relationships with others, whether it's our jobs, whether it's our status, whether it's our hobbies, whether it's just ourselves, or probably a mixture of those and many more things. 
And I think this passage gives us a perfect opportunity to repent of turning away from God, to turn back to him or to turn towards him for the first time, to be honest with him about where we haven't put him first, where we have believed the lie that we're better off without him, where we have gone our own way. Please don't go away from church tonight without truly being honest with God about these things and repenting. Repenting just means turning around, changing direction, turning away from our own way and back to God. Now, I know this has been heavy this evening. I'm very aware of that. But I don't think we can explore this passage properly if it doesn't feel a bit heavy. Because this passage is exposing the darkness of sin and the desperate plight of all humanity. But, and there is a but, you breathe a sigh of relief, we have a God whose light shines into the darkness. Now, this is a very niche reference, um, but there are some TikTok videos going around at the moment where people try using the brightest torch in the world. I don't know if anyone has seen any of these. Ben certainly has, so even if it's just me and him, there we go. Um, but it's, it's truly remarkable um, because someone will go outside, it's pitch black, they'll use their phone torch, it hardly shows anything, and then suddenly this torch goes on and it's as if it's daylight. It's truly amazing. I'll try and find a video afterwards and show you if you are really interested. Um, now, obviously, this is a very imperfect analogy, um, but God's light in the darkness is powerful. It's not just like a little phone torch, which, you know, it does, but it's a bit rubbish, really. Um, it is truly powerful. John 1 verse 5, a famous Christmas reading, says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness doesn't win. Sin is serious, evil exists, but it doesn't win. These verses show us our desperate need of God. They absolutely do. But there is good news. The good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus coming to save humanity from itself. God is righteously angry about sin and the consequences of sin. And he needs to do something about it. He can't ignore it. But Jesus, who is God, took our sins upon himself, taking the punishment required and defeating death so that we might be set free. There was a great exchange of our sins for his righteousness, salvation for all who believe in him. If we believe in Jesus, we have become righteous in God's sight. And this closes that gap that we talked about, that gap between God and humanity. We can be brought close to him. And this is glorious good news. It's a beautiful ray of light and hope, having spent quite a long time now dwelling on our sinfulness. Although we are in desperate need of being saved from ourselves, there is a way for us to be gloriously saved the gospel, the good news of Jesus, this gospel about which we mustn't be ashamed. This gospel has saved us and given us forgiveness and freedom and life. We must continue to take sin seriously. We haven't been forgiven in order to just keep on sinning. We must keep living by faith. 
As verse 17 says, God's righteousness which has been given to us is a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. As people set free by the truth of the gospel, we must not fall into the trap of exchanging God's truth for a lie, of turning away from God. We need to keep going in faith. And that's why we meet together and encourage one another in the faith each Sunday and in our home groups, in our families, in our friendship groups. It's why it's important that we spend time with God each day, reading his word, in prayer, listening to him, involving him in our day-to-day, letting him guide us. We need to keep trusting and keep putting our faith in Jesus each day and welcoming the Holy Spirit to work in us, changing us to become more into the people that God wants us to be. And why wouldn't we want to live in God's truth? We've seen the flip side, of course, but the reality of living in God's truth, it's so beautiful. Why would we exchange it for anything else? Through Jesus the Son, we know the love of of an eternal Father. We have freedom in living life, knowing that we are loved regardless, knowing that we have the wisdom and inspiration of the Holy Spirit guiding us, experiencing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. We have a family of God's people called to love one another in loving, merciful relationships which honor one another. We know a just God who cares about the injustices in the world and will do something about them. We could go on all day, and you probably feel like I've already gone on all day, to be honest. But he's amazing. Living in his truth is amazing. Another John Mark Comer quote, can you tell I'm reading one of his books at the moment, but um, it is actually helpful, I think. He says, when we believe truth, that is, ideas that correspond to reality, we show up to reality in such a way that we flourish and thrive. We show up to our bodies, to our sexuality, to our interpersonal relationships, and above all, to God himself, in a way that is congruent with the creator's wisdom and good intentions for his creation. Living in God's truth is the opposite of the chaos we've seen happen when we follow our own way and we follow our sinful desires. The world may see living our best life as following our own desires and living our own truth. But truly, living our best life is living in union with our creator, living as he intends us to live, which is God's truth, the ultimate truth. Let's seek to do that this week in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's intentionally fix our eyes on Jesus once again, turning to God, spending time with him personally in prayer, seeking his wisdom by reading his word and listening to him, making the most of the time we have together with other Christians, encouraging one another. Let's look to Jesus. He is so good. He is so good. His truth is so good. So let's pray to him now. Let's take some time to pray, and then we will respond in worship. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. 
we thank you that even though sin is serious and even though we have all messed up and gone our own way, we thank you that you have made a way for us to come close to you. Lord, forgive us for where we've turned away. Help us to turn back to you, Lord. Lord, we want to worship you rightly. We want to live in your truth. Help us, Lord. We need your help. Thank you that we have your spirit. And I pray that you would pour out your spirit afresh on us this evening. That we would draw closer to you. That we would go away from this place loving you more. That we would go away from this place knowing that your truth sets us free. Knowing that we can live in your love and your freedom. Knowing that the darkness doesn't win. And that we can live in your light. We thank you, Lord. We are so grateful. We bring ourselves afresh to you this evening. Come by your spirit, we pray, and move among us. Show us where we need to turn to you. Show us what we need to turn away from. But we thank you that your forgiveness is certain. You promise to forgive us. And that that slate is wiped clean. We are so grateful, Lord. Thank you.